Good afternoon, and welcome to the Middle East Forums webinar and podcast series, <clears throat> Israel Insider with Ashley Perry. I'm Stacey Roman, and I will be hosting this discussion today. We're pleased to have Ashley Perry, advisor to the Middle East Forums Israel office, join us each week to update us on all the events going on in Israel. Mr. Perry will be giving us a briefing on current Israeli affairs for 15 minutes and open it up for questions. Should you wish to ask a question, please use the Q&A box located at the bottom of your screen to type your question. And with that, I will turn this the discussion over to Mr. Ashley Perry. Thank you very much, Stacey, and good evening from Israel. Um, I, first of all, I'd like to apologize. Last week, I had to cancel relatively last minute. Uh, my voice was going, so I asked Alex uh, to step in, and I understand he did a, a good job. So following up from that, uh, this week, we're going to start talking a little bit about international pressure on the uh, likely incoming government. Um, first of all, let, let's look a little bit about precedent uh, from the past. And we can see there's been a few times in the past, uh, going back even till uh, 1977, when Menachem Begin broke the um, almost three decades hold uh, on uh, the prime ministerial position and pretty much the functioning of the government by the left-wing Labour Party. Uh, that was the first time that they lost an election and the right-wing uh, Likud party, that was when it was created out of three uh, smaller parties. Menachem Begin came to victory. Uh, much of the world saw him as an unrepentant terrorist at worst, or at least belligerent um, at best. Uh, there was all talk of governments uh, boycotting him. He would be ignored, snubbed, boycotted around the world. As we know, in the end, um, you know, he was dealt with. And in the end, he even brought peace with Egypt uh, in 1979, um, etc. Uh, if we fast forward, we see uh, something similar when Ariel Sharon uh, took office. Um, I think it was 2003, if I'm not much mistaken. Um, and again, this was someone with a bad reputation, someone who'd been blamed for what happened uh, with the Israeli invasion of uh, Lebanon and uh, the Sabra Shatila and, and all these sort of things. And again, there was this feeling that he would be ignored, boycotted, snubbed by the world. Uh, and again, it didn't really happen. In the end, he was able uh, to achieve uh, the disengagement, if you look at that as an achievement. Um, but in the end, he uh, he was someone that was not ignored by the international community. Um, and again, uh, someone something that I'm a little bit more um, familiar with is um, Victor Liebman. When Victor Liebman came into office as the foreign minister in 2009, there was again talk that, you know, someone who had made comments in the past and whose position was inconsistent with certain international positions as it was relayed at the time, would be, again, not really welcomed in capitals around the world. That didn't really happen. Uh, the one semi-snubbing, I would say, was um, then Secretary of State Hillary Clinton, who at first did not want to meet with Lieberman, but in the end uh, certainly did meet with Lieberman. And again, there was uh, a lot, you know, a lot to do with nothing. And he was welcomed pretty much in every capital of the world. So we have a lot of precedents. There is a lot of talk about the fact that this government will have certain ministers which will not be met with in the international community. Um, perhaps if they go abroad or if uh, their counterparts come here, it will be, it'll become difficult for certain figures. Um, we're hearing this, but we, you know, it, it, it remains to be seen. The most important partner for Israel, obviously, is the US, and that's where a lot of focus is. 
Um, behind the scenes, there is a lot of conversation going on whether and what to do about incoming uh, internal security minister Itamar Bengvir, um, incoming finance minister Patel Smotrich. Don't forget, Smotrich was housing minister in the past. So it's not like he's a completely new face to Israeli politics or even Israeli government. And uh, he was, he did meet with uh, certain counterparts uh, during his tenure as transportation minister, but he has been lumped in with uh, Itamar Ben-Gvir on this. Um, and, you know, they're, they're, the, the US is trying to decipher a policy. There are two camps at the moment uh, in, in Washington about what to do. There are those who want to come out up front and say, we will not meet with Ben-Gvir, Smotrich, perhaps even others from their parties who will be holding ministries. Um, and there are others, which ironically or, or not, however you look at it, is led by Secretary of State Blinken, who actually doesn't want to come out with any policy up front, wants to sort of look, uh, as he laid out uh, to the J Street conference this week, he wants to say, let's not look at personalities, let's look at policies. Um, and basically, that was his way of trying to get around the question of whether he would boycott or not. Certainly, they're not going to rush out to meet with uh, any of these figures. And at the moment, the US ambassador has not necessarily met with uh, either of them in, in their current position, although Itamar Ben-Gvir was invited to the United Arab Emirates um, National Day celebrations. Usually, they invite senior figures. Uh, ministers come, members of Knesset, and the fact that he was invited, and it was a good photo opportunity to show that, you know, if the United Arab Emirates are inviting, warmly welcoming someone like Itamar Ben-Gvir, you know, it, it, it becomes harder, let's say, for Europeans and, and others to snub um, such a figure. Um, what is happening behind the scenes is there are a lot of, of phone calls to Prime Minister, incoming Prime Minister, he's not Prime Minister at the moment, but incoming Prime Minister Netanyahu to try and send messages about what exactly will be the parameters of this government, laying out what it believes the international community's red lines will be led by the US. Uh, and that's why Netanyahu has gone a little bit on the defensive and has done a lot of interviews with the mainstream American press in the last week. Uh, talking about how he's going to lead this government. He's a liberal on, on many issues, which uh, this incoming government is being accused of, maybe being uh, more problematic towards LGBTQ, uh, towards a, a non-Orthodox movement, towards um, relations with uh, Arab Israelis, uh, with the Palestinians, et cetera, et cetera. And he said, his line has been, I'm the prime minister, I'm going to decide what the direction the government is. And that's very much how Netanyahu has run his government, more of a presidential system than a prime ministerial system, which Israel has, uh, where he's basically tried to keep all the important decisions to himself. It's going to be a lot more difficult in this uh, incoming government than others. Um, but I, I, but certainly he is hearing these messages. Uh, I heard from one very senior figure that the Americans are even uh, discussing or thinking about uh, sending some messages to Israel, perhaps through a non-veto of important UN resolutions at the Security Council. As we know, you know, there, there's there's a there's a glut of um, resolutions that are passed in the General Assembly where it's the majority rules, but in the Security Council, the Americans and others have a veto. And if they decide to use their veto, which they usually do, the Americans usually do when it's an anti-Israel resolution, then the resolution does not pass but the Americans um, can 
decide not to use their veto, perhaps even let the Europeans lead. The, these are some of the tools that are being suggested to send a message, not just to the Israeli government, but to the Israeli people that, you know, these things have consequences. Uh, I would argue completely misreading the map. The more that the international community or the more the Israeli population feels the international community is against it, the more it hunkers down and uh, veers more to the right. So I think that would be a mistaken policy, but it's certainly one that's being talked about, bandied around and even threatened in sort of back uh, room conversations. Um, so we'll have to see where this lies at the moment. I think that there's not going to be anything tangible. It's going to be a wait and see judge uh, the coalition by the issues themselves, by the policies. Uh, obviously, what's of why to the international community is relations, as I said, with the Palestinians, building uh, in settlements, uh, things like that. And the fact that, uh, you know, we see that uh, Netanyahu has uh, basically decided there's no way he's giving Bizarro Smotrich the defense ministry, and in the end had to give him the finance ministry, shows um, I would say that's a little bit as a result of the pressure from the Americans and others. Uh, he's almost certainly going to appoint uh, someone from the Likud, someone who's relatively loyal, uh, Yoav Galant, a former senior IDF official, came out of a meeting, uh, Netanyahu held a slew of meetings uh, with the members of his Likud party uh, to, you know, to as, as, as uh, his people put out, to just discuss uh, potential positions, but it's clear that some came out grinning a lot more than others. And apparently Yoav Galant came out grinning from ear to ear and said it was one of the best meetings of his life. So I think it's clear that he is going to get the defense ministry. What it should be said at this point is it's going to be a defense ministry without certain uh, responsibilities. And one of those is over uh, what happens in Judea and Samaria as far as building in the settlements, as far as demolishing illegal Palestinian building in Area C uh, and other things which are usually the domain of the defense ministry. But uh, because Smotrich did not get the defense ministry, which was his priority and, gave, and, and, and got the finance ministry, he's been given another ministerial position in the defense ministry. We'll talk a little bit about uh, some of these chopping and changing and some of these unprecedented things that seem to be happening in this um, coalition negotiations, and that's one of them. Uh, but he will have significant control over those things. But again, Netanyahu has been very quick to tell his international interlocutors and even the media that at the end of the day, you know, it's his responsibility and he will get the final say and he will veto any decision that he does not think is in his best interest or the state of Israel's best interest. So we'll have to uh, wait and see. On the coalition negotiations as a whole, uh, in theory, Netanyahu is until 12 o'clock midnight on Sunday night. Uh, that's the 28th period he was given as a mandate by President Herzog, and it runs out Sunday night. It's clear that he will not uh, be able to finish his coalition negotiations by then, but there's a relatively standard 14-day um, uh, extra that he can request, and pretty much it's unprecedented that he won't get it. There's no particular reason. It's not like there's someone else that uh, Herzog could give the mandate to to try and form a government. There's no one else really who could uh, potentially achieve that. So I think it's almost certainly going to happen. The Netanyahu camp is slightly worried because in theory, at least, the president does have the possibility of saying, no, you've, you've, you've used up your 28 days. You weren't able to form a government. Let's try and give it to someone else. But I don't think that's likely to happen. Um, at the moment, he seems to have closed 
I wouldn't say more than verbally, but not signed agreements with um, all the parties that ran together in the Religious Zionist Party. That's Batalos Matrish's uh, uh, um, Religious Zionist Party. There's the Otsma Yudit uh, Party of Itmar Ben Kvir, and there's the tiny one-seat party of um, Avi Maoz from the Noam Party. Uh, today, he also signed. Well, really, he received a letter from the United Torah Judaism, the Ashkenazi Ultra Orthodox Party, which basically laid out what it, uh, requi it requires. It, for some reason, it's not laid out in the same way as the other agreements. Well, as I said, they're not agreements yet. They're not formalized agreements. But it said that what ministries it wants, what uh, important committees in the Knesset it wants to hold. And there's no great shocks there. Uh, they will take over the housing and construction minister, uh, ministry, and most important for them, they will control the finance committee in the Knesset, which is extremely powerful when it comes to giving out budgets and where the state's money uh, goes. The only party that it does not have out of its likely partners at this point is Shas, the uh, Sephardi ultra-Orthodox party. Um, there have been to, uh, there has been rumors that uh, Arya Derry, the leader of that party, is not at all happy about what he's been offered. But I think at the end of the day, they will find a way around it. What is uh, potentially problematic from uh, Netanyahu's point of view is to ensure that everyone gets what they want. He will have to pass certain laws. Uh, and to do so, he needs to control um, the agenda of the Knesset. And to do that, he needs to make sure the speaker of the Knesset, the person who decides on the schedule and other matters uh, has to be someone uh, that he can trust. At the moment, it's Mickey Levy, uh, which is still from the previous government or the current government, I should say, because that's still the current government from the Yeshatid party. And obviously, he's not going to help Netanyahu and try and delay things as much as possible. Um, so he, they're trying to uh, unseat him. Netanyahu did manage finally to get the 61 signatures he needs to at least hold the vote, which basically forced Levy uh, into holding a vote next Monday, which will go through. Um, and then they will be able to control the agenda. But as I said, they need to pass certain laws. The first law that they need to pass is a, a law that will ensure that Arya Derry, as someone who took a plea bargain last year for fraud, uh, will be able to sit as minister. It's not clear exactly if he'll be able to uh, serve as minister. We know this is someone who served jail time in the past and then was uh, banned from politics for seven years after that, but this time he took a plea bargain. So it's not clear if he can serve as minister or not, but they're not really taking a chance, uh, the incoming coalition, and they want to pass a law specifically that allows someone in Derry's position to hold a ministerial position. And uh, Arya Derry is going to return to uh, the position he's held for many years in the interior ministry, and uh, apparently alongside that also become health minister. And uh, he's made the proviso that he'll sign an agreement only if he can swear in uh, with all the other members of the government. So they would need to pass that very, very quickly within the next uh, two weeks. Um, so there's, there's quite a lot to do there. And also some of the other laws which would take certain departments out of certain ministries. There's been a, a large complaint amongst the opposition and many Israelis that uh, as well as handing out ministries, which is normal to different parties, to different people, they've also taken chunks out of existing ministries and moved them around. Uh, the education ministry is a case in point. Some of the departments in formal education and others are now going to other people, not necessarily the education ministry and also the defense ministry. So the people who currently hold these positions are basically said that uh, 
you know, the, 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 uh, the minister who's going to come next is basically going to be defanged. They're going to have not as much power, not as much control, not as much to do uh, as they currently do. Um, so that that is, is certainly being talked about quite a lot. But until we see the final agreements, which will only be signed really at the last minute, because um, that's the way these usually these things usually go, because the more the less time there is, the more leverage some of these parties have over the prime minister incoming prime minister to, to get what they want. So this will come down to the last minute. And again, not only has Netanyahu got to close all these agreements, not just with who's going to sit in which ministry and which uh, Knesset um, uh, committee, but also on the ideological and the policy level. Um, he's got to do that alongside this legislative schedule to ensure that he is able to unseat the speaker, take control of the schedule, get his laws passed through as quickly as possible, in time for a swearing-in ceremony within uh, two weeks from Sunday, which is when the 14 extra days will um, be extended to. So it's quite a, uh, a, a, a tight timetable. Likud believe that they can do it. The opposition will be doing everything possible to try and delay it, to make sure that it doesn't uh, he, he doesn't succeed within the extra 14 days. Um, so we'll have to see where it is. On the opposition, the opposition certainly at this point, I would say the opposition, the incoming opposition, they're still very much in government, um, is very much being reached out to by Netanyahu, even at this late stage. Um, there are some who are saying that Netanyahu is sending, um, you know, intermediaries almost every day to try and bring them in. From where I started, the fact that the international community um, are, are unhappy, to put it mildly, about some of the uh, figures and policies of this incoming government, uh, but also because Netanyahu prefers something more, cent more centrist. Uh, you know, there's going to be some powerful figures from the extreme right, which is going to make his life very difficult. As we know, Netanyahu is not, uh, you know, too far on the right on, on many of these issues. So he would certainly prefer to bring in uh, someone from the opposition perhaps to replace or at least to give him a little bit more wiggle room because obviously if you bring in a party with six, seven, eight, perhaps even the Gantz party, I believe with 11 seats, then um, he is able to have a lot more uh, wiggle room. So that's something that Netanyahu will try and achieve. There are some suggestions that um, he won't be able to bring in someone like Benny Gantz uh, now, but perhaps after he's passed some of these more problematic laws that Gantz said, he will not support, but perhaps once they've all passed, it will be easier, more palatable for him then to join. That's something which uh, we'll see. Perhaps that's another reason that Netanyahu is keeping the defense ministry within the Likud, so it would be easier to give Benny Gantz that position back because it's a position he holds at the moment. But certainly he wouldn't be happy with the fact that it's been, uh, you know, so, as I said, some of the departments and some of the control has been taken by people like Smotrich. So there's a lot going on. There's a lot going on behind the scenes. There's a lot of discussions, a lot of intermediaries, a lot of threats, perhaps from abroad or promises made. Um, and we'll have to see exactly how that plays out uh, in the coming uh, weeks or months. But I believe that this government will be sworn in within the next couple of weeks. And I think the international community is taking a let's wait and see um, position for now. And with that, I'm happy to answer any questions. All right, thank you. Uh, Reuven Hakas, do you consider it at all unseemly for all of these great proponents of free and democratic elections, the United States, for example, 
to tell the freely and democratically elected incoming government uh, what it can and cannot do before the government is even formed? Well, first of all, whether it's right or not, it happens. Um, it certainly happens. It, you know, it wouldn't be the first U.S. administration to tell uh, the you know the Israeli government or the Israeli prime minister what it expects to happen. I mean, you know, the Israeli government has been strong-armed into many things in the past. We can go back to 1991 with the Madrid conference. We can go back to Oslo. We can go back to the disengagement. You know, on on many of these things, there was tremendous pressure. You know, at the end of the day, they they can't tell them exactly what to do, but the Americans. And the international community as a whole has quite a lot of leverage. Uh, Netanyahu is someone that they know uh, quite well. Uh, as far as whether they have a right to boycott or not, you know, if I was to play devil's advocate, we can say we can use Austria as an example. A number of years, Austria had a government with, uh, I believe they're called the Freedom Party, which was a far right party <coughs> with a history of neo-Nazism, et cetera, et cetera. Well, the Israeli government was was debating whether to boycott the whole government. In the end, they decided not to boycott the whole Austrian government, just not to meet with the specific ministers that represent the Freedom uh, Party. Um, so it's not like it's unprecedented, even from uh, the Israeli point of view. Um, there are certain uh, officials around the world, even from friendly countries, which Israeli officials will simply not meet, um, even, even at the UN level. I mean, there was an example of that even this week. Um, so it's not unprecedented. Um, is it right? You know, that's that's uh, to be debated, but that's diplomacy, that's leverage, that's what uh, countries do. Uh, and it certainly wouldn't be the first time that uh, the Americans have made their position extremely well known uh, to the Israeli leadership. Thank you. Uh, Brock Korkmazas, with Ben Greer on the steering wheel of, of the interior security, do you expect a change in the modus operandi of Israeli security forces, especially in Judea and Samaria, or will that be different since much rich will be? Well, first of all, internal security, in theory at least, does not extend over the green line to Judea and Samaria. Interestingly enough, one of the things that uh, Ben Greer has demanded is control over the Magav unit, which is the border police, which does uh, go over the green line. So this will be, again, unprecedented. I think he's even changed it from internal security to national security. I think that's going to be the official title um, to show that there's going to be a little bit more of the blowing of the lines, um, because usually, as I said, the current internal uh, security minister does not have um, uh, too much or any say about what goes on over the Green Line. That's usually in the Defence Ministry with the Army and, as I said, Magav and, and units like that. <coughs> but uh, certainly another achievement, uh, if you like, uh, of the Otsma UD party is they want to change the rules of engagement and about whether uh, Israeli soldiers who are doing their duty can be prosecuted uh, et cetera, et cetera. That's caused quite a lot of debate in, in, in the last few years um, of Israeli soldiers who have uh, killed a terrorist or someone that they believe to be a terrorist or whether they use too strong a hand or, 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 or what have you. Uh, as someone who comes from a very uh, strong or extreme right-wing position, Itamar ben Gvir, in, in almost all of these situations, and as a lawyer, even represented many of them, you know, believes a lot of these people are innocent or should not have even been on trial, should not have been uh, in jail. Um, so he is looking for a loosening of the rules of engagement. Um, Netanyahu will certainly find that difficult. And that's apparently one of the grievances that 
Ben Gvir already has now. He said that Netanyahu is walking back on certain understandings that we had. Probably that's one of them. Again, I would suggest and argue that it's probably thanks to international pressure, who certainly did not like um, hearing about some of these promises that were allegedly made to Ben Gvir. So certainly we'll have to see exactly what happens. But Ben Gvir at the moment is unhappy about certain agreements. He believes that already been walked back on. And as I said, this sort of just points to how difficult Netanyahu's life will be, um, you know, during the, the tenure of this government moving forward. Thank you. Barry Werner asks, what is it that the U.S. and the rest of the Western world might be afraid would happen uh, if a far-right Israeli minister would do something that they don't like? Well, there's a number of things. Uh, if we're talking about in Judea and Samaria, the West Bank, then uh, they're worried that they will build a lot more settlements, which is something the international community is you know, almost completely united against. They believe that more settlements that are built uh, precludes um, the, the, the possibility of a Palestinian state. Um, you know, there's certainly a strong argument against that, um, but that's something which they certainly worry about. Um, they're worried about perhaps the taking down of a legal building in Area C, um, which again, it's illegal under Oslo, which is an agreement signed and witnessed by the international community and the Palestinians, arguably under the Fayyad plan to try and build as much as possible around the settlements to try and preclude perhaps the settlements uh, becoming part of Israel in any uh, potential future resolution to the conflict. So there's quite a, a, a you know, a, a war of words, a war of narrative uh, surrounding that. Other things which uh, the international community worry about is uh, issues on LGBTQ. You now have someone uh, like Avi Maoz, who, who is, <coughs> whose party is rabidly against issues like this and has made some incendiary comments about the community um, and how he would stop the Jerusalem Pride um, uh, uh, march, uh, which takes place every year. Um, but again, Netanyahu has really tried to, you know, allay fears about that and said that nothing will change the status quo. And in fact, uh, is almost certain, according to reports, to appoint uh, a gay uh, foreign minister, Amir Ohana. Uh, if he doesn't get foreign minister, he'll certainly get a, another senior position. So I think that probably also works. If he if he does give that position to Ohana, I think that certainly will um, work quite well for him because, you know, as we know, the foreign minister is the public face of, of Israel to the outside world. Um, and also there's other issues which are of, of concern to the Jewish community. Uh, or every party except for Likud have talked about changing the law of return, which allows anyone with one Jewish grandparent to make Aliyah, to, to immigrate to Israel. Uh, there's talk of uh, taking that <coughs> one generation uh, forward and not and just allowing someone with one parent, one Jewish parent. Um, that's those are those are the subjects of uh, calls that Netanyahu is receiving from major Jewish leaders, especially from the US every day. Netanyahu has said that he does not believe it's changed, but this is something he's going to get quite a hard time about because all the other parties, or the other five parties now, are all unified about doing something on that. The incoming immigrant absorption minister has said that, you know, he'll, he'll take a look at it. He hasn't promised to do anything, but he'll see what that is. So these are some of the issues which the international community and for the last one, the Jewish community is particularly concerned about. <coughs> 
Thank you so much for that answer. Uh, we have a question here. It says, do you think the new government will be mo more proactive in providing defensive materials to the to Ukraine? Um, I think it'll probably uh, carry on the status quo. Again, it won't, you know, let's not forget Netanyahu had, had has a, a good relationship with Vladimir Putin, you know, going back a couple of years before the invasion of Ukraine, he, he very much touted this as one of his international credentials as having very good relations at the time with Putin and former President Trump. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Um, so I don't think that they'll he'll really change what's happening. There'll be assistance to Ukraine, probably at the same level that there is now. Um, I don't really think there'll be too much change to that, probably not rhetorically, probably not as far as what Israel will provide the Ukrainians because of all those things that we've talked about in the past, because of Israel's concern about Russia's position in the region and what it can and can't do vis-a-vis -vis Syria and Iran. And, and uh, so Israel has to very much take this into consideration and walk that very narrow tightrope that it's been doing up until now. Uh, I think the tone will be a little less belligerent than uh, it was with Lapid, probably returning more to the tone of uh, Bennett, which tried to be a little bit more neutral, but probably behind the scenes will be giving a, a bit of assistance to the Ukrainians as much as it can, not pushing the envelope too much, because obviously that will arouse the anger of uh, Putin, which is something that Netanyahu certainly will, will not want to do. Thank you. And last question, Gary Hillebrand asks, what are the reactions regarding the upcoming government uh, what reactions regarding the upcoming government have come out of the Abraham Accord countries? Um, well, again, openly, you know, they said that they'll work with Netanyahu very well. Um, you know, they're not going to come. As I said, the fact that the uh, Emirati ambassador to Israel held a national day celebrations and invited Itamar Ben-Gvir. There was a picture of, you know, him being greeted by the uh, Emirati ambassador at the reception. Uh, shows that obviously, <clears throat> if the, there's no, there's been no directive to ignore uh, Itamar Ben Gvir, who certainly will be the most, will see be seen as the most extreme of any min incoming minister. So if Itamar Ben Gvir is not uh, being boycotted by the Emiratis, then probably none of the other ones will be. Um, uh, you know, countries like these, no countries really are going to come out openly at this stage and say we're boycotting this person. But, you know, I'm sure there will be countries who will not meet with them uh, at various levels, um, but no one has really come out with it. And, and I'm sure at the end of the day, you know, the Emiratis will not necessarily like some of the policies, which I'm, I'm sure a lot of the other countries around the world will not. But they also understand that Netanyahu is leading the show. And don't forget, it was Netanyahu who signed the initial Abraham Accords who's very cognizant of the meaning, the strategic uh, importance of them. Uh, you know, he said, Netanyahu has even said that one of his goals um, for the upcoming government is to try and even bring Saudi Arabia into the, uh, into the uh, um, you know, Abraham Accord circle. So I'm sure he'll try and do everything to ease any concerns that there may be in the region. <coughs> All right. Well, thank you so much. With that, we've come to the close of our webinar and podcast. Ashley, thank you again for taking time to update us this week. For our viewers and listeners, please join us Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern with Alberto Fernandez discussing Sudan at the crossroads. Thank you all for joining us, and I hope you have a wonderful day.